everyone. Hi, hello. Welcome to another exciting episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I'm sitting here in my studio with someone who has been very pivotal and influential in my writing career of late. It is Jack Newcomb, and he is the publisher of Tropical Attire and Courage and other phrases that scare me. And um, he's the CEO of Creator Syndicate, which syndicates a bunch of columnists. My book originally was Columns, and um, hello, welcome. Thanks for having me, Allison. It's been uh, it's been over a decade since we've known each other. Really? Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I know that you just had. I know you. Okay. Before we turn the mic on, you're like, this is really about you and your book. And now I am going to make it about you a tiny bit. You just had your third child. I didn't have the child, but yes, my <laughs> wife had our third child. You're not one of those like we're pregnant right, people. Right, right. Um, okay. You were a party to that's right. A third baby being born. And what I was gonna say is I think as we get older, time gets confused, but especially when you have a baby, like time is confused. So um I'm just surprised it's been over ten years. Right. I know. Crazy. I know. And we both and we have five human beings that we created since then yeah neither of us had kids at the time no i know you didn't even have daniel at the time you were a a free agent (laughs) that's right (laughs) free agenting around town but i believe the first time you and i met in person was in brentwood does that sound right was that the first time we met in person or maybe there no it was houston's uh in orange county oh okay yeah then the second time i guess was at some place in Brentwood where Daniel was living at the time. So by then I was a, not important. Right. Not right. important. Although actually Daniel is a huge part of the story too. Of course. But anyway, I was trying to remember when you first reached out to me. Uh, I don't, I don't remember exactly like the year, but I, I just thought you were, I heard you on, uh, Corolla. your yeah previous podcast and you were, creative and funny and interesting and truly unique. Um, And I just thought that the voice was really interesting and did a Google deep dive, saw that your roots were in writing. And I always, I'm never shocked by that because I think that it's much easier to talk and it's much more difficult to actually sit there and move the keys and put something out there in the written words. So the fact that you had that background, uh, reading some of your stuff, I said, Hey, we have a platform here. If you want to keep doing this, you can. Um, and you said yes. And then the column was great for as long as you did it. And then, uh, the true definition of the word syndication is in my opinion is try to expand your audience on work that you've already done. So let's repackage this thing, put it in a book, make it a collection so that people can, read it. And that's what we did. And the book is great. And and the audio book is even better, in my opinion, because oh. <laughs> people are used to listening to you as a podcaster. And every time you read an essay, you give a little exposition of like mm-hmm. a follow-up of this is what happened after the fact. Um, so I, I just, I think the whole creative thing is really fun. And we just did a five-year anniversary, uh, kind of look back because a lot of the earlier columns are about 
Oliver, the, uh, mm-hmm. the, the dog and, you know, before you had kids and, you know, now obviously a lot has happened and the five new essays about everything that's happened and the tribute to your dad was just so sweet, um, to sort of see the progression that you've gone through and that we've all gone through over the last five years was just really, uh, compelling. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I remember when we were working on putting the book together at that, at, so book, so five years ago, the book came out in 2018. But like you said, when the column started, a lot of the material was it. I think I got married during the writing of the column. So the wedding happened, like there's some stuff about in, in the original columns. But yeah, I remember at the time then working on the material in 2018 thinking, oh, my life is at this point in a different place right. from then. Yeah. And then, okay, so question for you. If Dan, so for anyone who doesn't know the sort of story of the book, Daniel surprised me for my birthday, whatever year that was, with this hardbound, like he, by hand, I didn't know that you could make a book, but he made a book of my essay, of my columns, and he had illustrated each one. And he gave it to me as a surprise, like to show me like, hey, you have a a book's worth of material. If he hadn't done that, would you have thought to make it a book? So what we did in this book is actually published the drawings. Mm -hmm. Um, Any, I I don't know if I would have thought of it or not. Uh, Maybe at some point, I I think the drawings definitely made it compelling. The fact that he's a part of it, the fact Mm -hmm. that he's your husband. Um, I remember when the book initially came out five years ago, we did a book signing and he was there Yeah, and he did drawings for all your fans. And Mm -hmm. these people lined up, you know, around the block outside the the last bookstore. So I think that was cool for the people that, you know, read the book and, and that listened to you. Um, it, It was sort of, it's, it had, I mean, th- it wasn't this, but it felt like kind of a good little gimmick. That's not the right mm. word because it has a negative connotation. But uh, yeah, I thought it was really sweet and it was uh, a good kind of selling point of the book. Yeah, I was thinking like, what's a what's a the nice way of saying gimmick? Right, right, exactly. Selling po- angle. It, and he did story. he did he did more drawings yes. for, the, for yeah. the new one, including the most yeah. unflattering <laughs> picture of me. Where so, <laughs> is that? It's funny because, like, I feel like I turn to that page. Oh God, a lot. Yeah. So you got. I mean, you got to bring this up in like uh, therapy. Yeah, something like that. It's <laughs> well, like a okay. Rorschach. It's because so this is an essay called "I Feel Bad About My Face," and it was about trying Botox for the first time. Which, by the way, you're I, a believer. Now I am. Right. Yeah. I mean, the whole essay is about how I didn't like it, but at the end. Like, I know I'll probably go back, um, which I did. And, you know, it's just a matter of tweaking it till you get it how you like it, which actually is difficult. And I don't know. It's like something to do. It's something to do with my <laughs> aging. But anyway, I talked about um, how my brow felt really heavy at the beginning. And I felt like I was like sloth from the Goonies. So this picture is like me <laughs> as sloth, but it's so unattractive. <laughs> it's so horrifying. Your skin looks great, by Thank the way. Thank you. So whatever you're doing is, is Thank working. Thank you yeah. very much. So tell me more about creators and how you came to be the CEO. Yeah. So my dad was the founder of the company. 
1987, he worked for Rupert Murdoch. Uh, who I is, didn't know. Maybe I did know that. So he was the guy who is the um, model of Logan Roy and Succession and kind of the that whole family is supposed to be the Murdoch family. Right. Least, you know, kind of a some sort of um, creative liberty parallel to yes. it. Yes. Um, so my dad worked for Murdoch and like worked directly for him. And Murdoch was like a newspaper guy. And my dad was a, he worked for the newspaper in college. And then when he got out, he was a beat reporter at, uh, UPI, which is sort of similar to, um, AP. Right. And, uh, did that whole thing, but also liked the business side. So he got, um, into the syndication world. Um, which was like selling columns and comic strips to other newspapers. So he's working for Murdoch and then Murdoch sells his syndicate. And whenever you buy or sell a company, usually they fire everybody and then just take the revenue and, and, um, it's called economies of scale and sort of do the same thing with, um, less people and then Mm -hmm. make more money. Um, and then hopefully you pay off the loan or whatever it is. Um, so my dad's job was going to be collateral damage. So then he, what? wait, oh, you mean your dad was going to lose his job? Yeah. Yeah. I thought you um, meant for a second. I thought you meant his job was like handling no. the collateral damage. Like, <laughs> no. Oh, he's the guy who fired everyone. No, no, <laughs> he, he, he was gone. So then, um, he looked around and he could get another job with another company, but then this could happen again. And right. he's always sort of had that entrepreneurial itch. Um, so he, went directly to the talent and basically recruited a handful of them and including Ann Landers who, Oh wow. I mean, it's, I don't know. We're sort of aging ourselves if anybody knows who that is, but at the time she was like super duper influential. So I used to say she's as influential as Oprah. I don't know who the comp would be now. Like who's the Oprah of Of 2024 or even like today. I mean, huh. would it be Kim Kardashian? Or- oh, God. Or like, you, there was a moment. Well, no, I was going to say Gwyneth, but no, because people, there's always like this pushback against, yeah. right, who's the like, who's everyone's mom? I guess there's not. Paris Hilton. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> you know. You know, it's funny. I mean, that's like the changing media landscape. Like, there's not a monoculture anymore. Right. Um, anyway, so uh, so he recruits her and she says, you know, if, you know, I'll go with you if you start your own thing. Same thing with this editorial cartoonist named Her Block and then a cartoonist named Johnny Hart who had these two big uh, comic strips. Now, the big um, differentiating factor and what truly disrupted the industry is that he gave the comic strip artist, so Johnny Hart, ownership mm. of his um, material. Uh, so full, he, Not full ownership. Yeah, full, yeah, yeah oh, okay. ownership of the characters, which was you know unheard of. Got um, it. And so he raised money. He actually raised money from a guy named Robert Maxwell. Maxwell, as in the daughter who was linked to Oh, oh Ghislaine? Yes. That's oh, her wow. dad. Oh. Okay. Wow. So he raises money from this dude. Uh, what who, was that guy just an investor? He like, was just you, an investor. Okay. Yeah. So he raises money, start his, starts this company, sort of entrepreneurial success story, you know, all that stuff. And then eventually that guy, Maxwell, is like, you know, th- making my dad's life hell and wants him to sell the company and all this stuff. Fast forward, he ends up dying. Maxwell he, does. Yeah. His, his naked body is found. Oh off, my gosh, this is getting exciting. Off of like a boat. Um, and nobody knows if he, you know, got drunk and fell over right. or, you know, whatever. 
Um, anyway, after that, it was sort of like smooth sailing. And then, you know, when <laughs> no when, pun. Yeah. And then when, <laughs> when, uh, <laughs> when, um, when Hillary Clinton wanted to write a column, she joined creators and sort of, they had their thing. How, now, how did that happen? Did he go after her? Did she come to him? You know, we, my dad was always, so in typical syndication, it was like columns and comics. And my dad always loved the written word and, was just really good at picking good writers. Mm-hmm. So I think we were always strong in that vein. So she looked around at kind of the landscape and was like, this is the place I want to go. Um, especially political, you know, we, we represent people on both sides of the mm-hmm. aisle. So I, I, maybe she read somebody and sort of knew that or just within, you know, Washington or whatever. Um, and that, but that was good just for the company in terms of saying, you know, we have a good reputation and this is, this is a good, uh, kind of brand to be associated with mm-hmm. in terms of we've made it. Um, and then fast forward to, for me, uh, I, I, I was a college athlete and really kind of majored in that in college. And when I graduated, what was your sport? Uh, rowing crew. I didn't know. Maybe I did know that. I don't think I did though. I don't know. It, I think you play that close to the vest. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, I don't know. Um, it was, it was definitely like super formative for me. And I, I was, you know, a NCAA athlete for four years, voted captain my senior year, which, you know, to this day is you get voted by your teammates mm-hmm. and like getting voted by my teammates to be their captain, like means more to me than almost any achievement I've ever had. Because like those guys trusting me is just such a validation. Like I care what they think mm-hmm. more than anybody else. So that was like very formative for me in college. But then when I graduated, I didn't really have a career path. So I went into finance and I, I just, I ended up getting a job at Morgan Stanley, which sounds a lot cooler than it is. It was really like, doesn't sound that cool. Well, it was a, it was a retail investment job and you're smiling and dialing, trying to bring in people's money. Mm-hmm. It was really on the Dean Witter side, which is not the big institutional side. It, um, Anyway, so I did that and then what did you major in? Government. Okay. Um, so I liked politics. Uh I, I I more liked I didn't I don't like politics like American politics the way it is now. I really liked political theory. Mm-hmm. So I was super into like Aristotle okay. and uh Socrates and sort of like what the best way to form an organization mm-hmm. or a government is. Um I remember there was uh I'm pretty sure there's there, there's this book by Aristotle uh, called the, I think it's called the Nicomachean Ethics. I, I've totally lost your audience, by the way. But, but, <laughs> but you've um, got mine. <laughs> yeah. But um, th- they were talking about like the different types of governments. And the guy said that the best government was where one person was in charge mm. because there's no red tape. The problem is no human being is like virtuous enough right. to have that much power. That's why like the second best is a republic. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so- uh, when I graduated, I got a job in finance. Uh, I made 30 grand a year. And this was in 2004. Like, I know I sound like a dinosaur, but like. <laughs> right. This is this is not that different. I feel like it's not that different. I, I guess yeah. it is 20 years ago. But anyway. No, but when I was hired by Time Out in New York in 2000, end of 2004, I was making 35 and in New York. And it was, and I remember that they gave me this binder of like all the stuff I, you know, HR binder. And in the front page was a letter from the woman who had the job before me, who she was, she was a friend of mine and she was leaving and going to entertainment weekly. And I was like, Hey, can you put 
put me in touch with people who are hiring. So that's sort of how I got that. But anyway, it was a letter to her saying she was making like 30. So they had given me more than her. But um, but anyway, yes, that was not very much money at that time. It was hard to live on. Oh, so she left the letter in there and you saw that? I don't. Oh, my God. I assumed that was a mistake that her letter was right, in there. Right. But maybe she had left it. I don't know. In, I don't know. But anyway, yeah. So. It's, so, so get the job and then fast forward a couple of months. Like once I sort of had, um, like once one company sort of said, okay, you know, you're good enough to work and you, you had this, then, uh, I, I ended up getting a job at, at Goldman Sachs, which was quote unquote, a better place. And it, it was mm-hmm. a better job working in investment management. Um, I learned a ton about basically all the, all the stuff that I didn't learn in college in terms of quantitative skills and financial modeling and that whole stuff. What I, is quantitative skills? Well, like um, sort of how markets work. Okay. And, you know, the difference, I mean, I didn't know a stock from a bond when I graduated and then learning about interest rates and and how that, uh, you know. Like, so like if someone had majored in econ, this would be the stuff they would, pro- do they learn that in econ? So, so econ is so economics is the study of incentives. So I, I found it's funny. I ended up going to business school, and econ was one of my favorite classes. It's also one of the classes I did the worst in, mm. for whatever reason. But I, I love economics, and economics is really a study about people. Like, how do you motivate people to do certain things? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's um, interesting. I wouldn't have known that. F- finance is about money, but economics is more interesting because people talk about supply and demand all the time. Uh-huh. But what I think is more interesting is the relationship between price and demand, especially mm-hmm. in media. Because if you think about this, if you put, you know, your the your demand for your podcast is some number. And then the second you put a dollar amount, a price mm-hmm. on that podcast, what happens to demand? What happens to any media right now? We don't pay for anything right, right now. Uh, that's what I think. I think it's so interesting what you're doing with your sub stack, where you're if you sort of want to get the, you're, you're sharing this. Have you talked about it before on your, yeah, on your podcast? I'll, yes, I have. So I, um, I'm telling the story of finding out that I was Jewish after college. My dad had lied to me um, and I thought he would never lie to me. So I believed him, even though it was becoming more and more far-fetched. It didn't really make sense, but I did. I truly thought I wasn't Jewish. Um, and then I found out I have talked about that story a bit on the air, but I've never really gone into the details. And I've, and, but more importantly, I've never written about it. And I've always felt like I someday I want to write about this, but I never have. I think um, it's not directly, it's not because my dad died in July that I'm doing it, but I don't know that I would have been a felt, I don't know that I would have wrote, written about it if he were still here. So it is related in this sort of roundabout way. But anyway, I started writing about it on my Substack, and I'm doing it in these little installments. Um, and then I have a paid version, which it was actually a, a f- aforementioned Elise. Oh, no, that was on air. That was off air that we were talking about Elise. Mm. <laughs> um, Elise, uh, author of On Our Best Behavior, who was just on the show recently. And then on the on the Thursday show, Joel Stein was talking about her, too, because um, she like convinced him to do Substack. She encourages everyone to turn on the paid version because i think a lot of people are hesitant like what am i going to provide at the paid level so initially i turned it on with the idea of like i'm not promising anything extra um but if someone wants to support me they can you know i don't i don't know what i can commit to doing um 
but then it's turned like very kind of it just kind of came to be by itself and it was simple that I do like an installment every week and then um, I do a paid version every week where it's just additional context um, and kind of commentary about what I've been talking about and then pictures and that just felt natural like I didn't really feel comfortable sharing the pictures to the wider audience but I feel comfortable with like the smaller audience doing right. the pictures. Yeah. Right. So that's what I've been doing. Yeah. So that, that's a good example of your kind of looking at something that most people give away for free and able to monetize it. So anyway, um, so that, that's kind of my interest in economics or like the way markets work. But anyway, so, um, I got a job at, at Goldman Sachs, uh, in investment management. I did that for two years, learned a ton and then wanted to go to business school because I wanted to do something not in finance. I want to do something more creative. And I also, this was on the East coast and I wanted to, I'm from LA originally. I wanted to get back to California. You were in um, DC at this point? I was. Yeah. And I applied to three schools in California and one on the East coast and, uh, the, the, the dust settled, um, and ended up going to, um, Stanford in Palo Alto, which was amazing, like amazing experience. Did that for two years. And when I graduated, looked at all these opportunities, all these different organizations, and ultimately chose to join the family business. And at the time, um, it being a family business was a turnoff because mm -hmm. I didn't want people to think, oh, you're the boss's son. Right. Um, but the what I liked about it was it was in a creative field. It was challenging. So super duper challenging. In 2009, a company that was entrenched in the newspaper industry and how do you save this company? Mm -hmm. Um, and I got general management responsibilities immediately. So thinking back to you know my college career, I got to lead a team. It's totally different, but <sighs> sort of similar in that, in that regard. So I joined, uh, in 2009 and I've been a part of the organization ever since and sort of started general manager, worked my way up chief operating officer and CEO a couple of years ago. Um, and I have, couple businesses outside of that that I've been able to start sort of at the same time. Um, but it's been now I've, since I've grown into the role and the, the business has changed and we've been able to evolve and adapt and all this stuff. Um, the fact that it's a family business, I I've sort of turned towards and like a lot more. Mm -hmm. Um, and I sort of feel, did you watch game of Thrones? Um, uh, for a little while, I did not continue with it. I'm but, I was already out by the time of the red wedding. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, so th the reason I ask is like, there there's something there's something cool about this is our family's corner. This is our mm. flag, and like if I can do something to help, you know, keep it going, um, that that's and, and I enjoy doing it and can also do other stuff. And it's not like a life sentence. Like I actually enjoy this thing, and it is. By the way, I think part of it is it's challenging and the business has changed dramatically and we have so many, you know, industry headwinds that I have had to deal with. Mm -hmm. Um so I think I feel more ownership over the business. I feel more ownership of the organization and where we are today and all that stuff and and self-esteem that comes with that and all that. So um one of the things that I did was say, look, newspapers are going away, syndications going away, you know, all this stuff. Um, so we need to get into more stuff. Let's go direct to the consumer. 
because of technology, one of the things that we could do is actually publish books, but I adopted a zero inventory strategy. So I didn't want to print a bunch of books and have them sit in a warehouse and then yeah. lose a lot of money. So uh, we were very strategic in our thinking. And one of the books, uh, since we were doing you know collections of columns sometimes, it was a good way to sort of get people like you, creative people, um, you know, a new audience and a bigger platform. And it's a book is just different than even a Substack or a mm-hmm. column or whatever. When you read them one after the other after the other, and especially, um, you know, at this point in your life, it's just different. Um, I remember what my favorite writer is is Chuck Klosterman, and I think oh, yeah. you, you know his wife, right? I do, Melissa Merritt. Yeah. yeah. I, by the way, did you read her oral history on Days and Confused? No. What was, like what a, was that in? <laughs> it was like a thousand page oral history on Days and Confused, like the movie. Wait, uh, did she publish it? Yeah, it was a it's book. a book. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. It's, it's fantastic. I did <laughs> not know that. It's really good. I need to read it. Yeah. So he he's um, he's my favorite writer, and his most famous book is Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs, mm-hmm. one of the first books he wrote. But when he talks about it today, he's like, "I wasn't a very good writer then. Like, I don't like that book compared to what I write today. Like, I'm a better writer now." Um, and I'm not saying you weren't a good writer when you wrote this book. <laughs> But it, where is this going? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it's fun to look back on your early essays, particularly when you say that owning a puppy is harder than having a kid. And then you can reflect on <laughs> it. You know? Which one of the es- the newer essays is I revisit that, that statement. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I mean, I'd have to go back and look, but I think the later ones... Or the or the the five new ones are more. Um, there's probably more sincerity and more feeling in them, and less just humor. But also, I still tried to be funny. So I think you're. It's it's interesting because I, I I reread the book before this, and I think there's seriousness in everything that you write. But I think you almost have a shtick or an act mm-hmm. that I get, and I'm sure your fans get. Where, but I think other people, they read it, they, they would just sort of read it and, and that would be it. I think one of your most interesting essays is when you get asked about females and comedy, oh, right. females yeah. and podcasting. If you read that sort of at face value, somebody might walk away and think, oh, she's fine with it. But then, you know, the commentary in the audiobook, or if you reread it, or if you know you, mm-hmm. you're seething. <laughs> my words, not yours, yeah. but it's like, there are so many, uh, daggers and things that I'm sure you've had to go through, mm-hmm. but it's not over the top. Right. Um, it, it's so nuanced. Did you, did you see the Barbie movie? Yes. I'm going to about to have the Barbie hive go after me. <laughs> so, okay. Oh, no, say what you're going to say. I was super excited to see it. Mm-hmm. And I was very disappointed because of the total lack of, of nuance. Like the end mm-hmm. climax was literally them looking directly into the camera, giving monologues. Right. And I just thought you can tell this story better, more creatively. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you are doing, it is full of nuance. I almost think you're too smart for, you know, sort of the, the general public. But uh, um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You know, anyway. Uh, what do you I, think about the barbecue? Okay. <laughs> I saw it with Elliot. Uh-huh. So I went with a six-year-old. Um and I enjoyed it a lot. Daniel didn't see it. And now it's streaming. So he has watched it. And we were, he saw like half of it one night. And then we watched the rest of it the other night. I was kind of in and out. 
he has a lot of criticisms of the movie. Um, which I think he watched it with a much more critical eye than I did. Um, not the same thing as what you're saying. Of by the way, is there a Barbie Hive that's going to come no after idea. us? I just know a lot of people liked it. I, I, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was clever. Um, I thought Kate McKinnon was great. The performance, it was, you know, really she, funny. She was great. You're right. Yeah, and and you know, it was all of them were funny. I this is beside the point, but the fact that America Ferrara is an adult is weird to me because <laughs> she's just eternally. I just think of her as like sisterhood of the traveling pants, ugly Betty. She's right. young, like not an adult in my mind. Um, but Daniel was bumped by the fact that like to him, Barbie is not this model of go get him womanhood. It's like this problematic thing. Cause you know, there is, there's always been this thing of like Barbie sets an unrealistic, um, you know, example for women. So the fact that it was so, he felt like he could see the hand of Mattel in it oh, all over the place. Of course. And then also the fact that they're in Barbie land, there's like bar, you know, there's like the, the, there's all different sorts of bodies and it's very diverse, but that's not the case with Barbie. You know, he felt, and I, but I said to him, and I think this shut him up about that. I was like, you know, I have to tell you sitting in the audience, seeing a plus size Barbie who's treated like an object of desire, like that actually made me feel good. Right. Right. Um, so I, I feel like he was being like very concrete with right. it, but I don't know. I also think probably you and he went into it hearing how good it is. Absolutely. And so then it didn't, you know, it's it, very, un, very high standard. I, I, I love Margot Robbie. I like Greta Gerwig. I was, I was ready to go. Uh, who's the guy in it? Ryan Gosling. Yeah. I, uh, oh, we, really? Are we sure he's good? <laughs> I thought he was. I thought it was funny. <laughs> what's What's your favorite Ryan Gosling movie? Oh well, I mean, I don't. I'm not like a Ryan Gosling stan or something. Right? I just thought he made. I thought he was funny in the in the movie. But you know what I really like, which I think it was Jeff on my podcast said that when it came on in the airplane, he wanted to jump out the window. <laughs> um, I really liked La La Land. Okay. Did you hate it? No, I have mixed feelings about it. Um. I thought, do you remember, this is really aging myself, do you remember when Anne Hathaway and James Franco hosted the Oscars? Yes. Do you remember the feedback? It was very uh, negative. But it was mixed. It was, she brought it, she was energetic, and he was comatose. Okay. That's kind of how I felt about La La Land. I thought Emma Stone was a comet, was a Mm. star. I thought he was... City of Night. It's like like very <laughs> yeah. just sort of low, right? And, you know, kind of low energy too. Yeah, and and mm-hmm. and I thought they, you know, I know he worked with Damien Chazelle and they're you know boys. And look, the movie did great. Like he was, you know, I guess the right choice. And I don't I don't know about the sort of other casting what ifs there, but um, I I just thought she was great. I mm-hmm. liked a lot of the music there. Me too. The the, the middle is kind of slow, and also I'm a sucker like. They don't end up to spoiler alert. They don't end up together. Like the ending's kind of sad. That was like my favorite part of it. Oh God, you're one of those people. Oh no, no, no. Sorry. Sorry. Let me rephrase the, not the fact that they didn't end up together, but the whole, um, 
like, I'm having trouble remembering it, but when he's, well, now we're just spoiling, but that's fine. When he sees her in the club, yeah. doesn't she have some, like, doesn't she go on sort of a flight of fancy where you, where she imagines that they did end, end up together? I mean, I, I, I don't remember that, but I'm sure she did. Yeah. I thought that, I thought it was poetic. I thought yeah. it was beautiful. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're right. I guess I w- kind of wanted them to be together and walk off into the sunset, Yeah. you know, but that doesn't happen. And it was, right. you know, sort of a, a good story about Hollywood to an extent. Did you see Babylon? Um, it got universally p- panned. It's like three hours long uh-huh. plus. I loved it. Really? Maybe yeah. I'll check it out. Okay. I will say though, because when you said, God, you're one of those. <laughs> in general, I am I remember thinking there was something very like beautiful and wistful about La La Land. However, one of the movies I, my most hated movies, My Best Friend's Wedding I never saw it. <laughs> okay. It's awful. I, I Everyone loves it. I hated it. Yeah. But they don't end up together. Okay. It's a similar thing. And I'm like, well, fuck that. <laughs> like, I don't want to. Right. Um. Right. So, so I'm not one of those is okay. what I'm saying. I'm All one right. of the other ones. All right. I am yeah. over there with you staring at the other ones saying you're those. Gotcha. Um, okay. I have a question for you. Yes, I have a please. few questions. All right. 2009, you uh, said you were thinking, how can we save this? Uh-huh. So if you remember in 2009, save this being this company that's in newspapers. Yeah. What, what, so you are in 2009, you like already saw the handwriting on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I saw it before that. Right. Uh, you know, I, I sort of, when I applied to business school, I knew that you know, maybe I joined the family business. And then between first and second year, you had the global financial crisis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all, speaking of movies, this is, uh, what, um, you know, the big short and all those, all those movies that right. came out, um, uh, margin call. Uh, it was about that time. Um, I remember it was September of, uh, my second year, where everyone's sort of looking around like, uh, you know, the econ- the financial markets are just uh, on fire right now um, in a bad way, uh, sort of smoldering. So um, that was going on as like an economic backdrop. And then specific to the industry, you know, I was in Silicon Valley, like the iPhone had just come out mm-hmm. the year before. I knew that somebody throwing a piece of paper onto a driveway when you could get news for free in the palm of your hand it just wasn't going to compete. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what do you do about that? I mean, traditional media still doesn't know the answer to that. Right. Um, and they've tried a whole bunch of things. Um, I looked at it from an economics, st- like a truly, you know, economist standpoint, which is like, what do we do? What are our skills? So we're good at picking talent and working with talent and working with writers and creative people. Uh, we can help edit and produce that. Uh, that's where we're different than just a traditional agent. We actually do you know, editorial work and publishing. Um, but instead of selling that to a third party, which isn't going to exist anymore, or is third going, party being like the newspaper, like a newspaper or is going to have tremendous changes or cost cutting or whatever. Um, we have to go directly to the, to the consumer. So you can do one of two ways. You can uh, give it away for free and then monetize the consumer based on advertising, mm-hmm. um, which is very difficult to do. Um, it's something you obviously have done and, uh, you should feel really good about yourself for doing that. And it, it, it speaks volumes to the amount of, uh, talent that you have and, you know, hard work that you put into this podcast, that you're able to do it. Um, and then the other thing you could do is actually sell a product that people will pay for. And 
it just happened at the time that Amazon was getting really good at on-demand publishing where it didn't look like, you know, this, this vanity project mm -hmm. that you got from Kinko's, it looked like an actual book and you'll get it in two days. Um, and then we didn't have to, all the research I was doing on publishing, like the problem was, you know, unsold inventory. Mm -hmm. And so when I came into this, I was like, okay, we're going to do zero inventory. So we're going to do eBooks, audiobooks, and print on demand. And that's what we did. And we had a few, um, sort of take off like at the beginning, but nothing really, nothing really did well. And then after a few years, um, some of our political books in 2020, so people were home and it was an election year. That's when publishing really blew up for mm -hmm. us. Um, and since then we've been able to sustain and grow and develop. And we, we sort of have this hybrid model of we do collections, we do columns, writers that we work with, but people that work with us like the written word, they like stories, they like books. So we do get cold manuscripts. We publish fiction. Um, oh, so, uh, wow. We do. So you're doing like stuff that you're like a full publishing full, full, company now. Yes. Yes. Full on. So those are a lot more time and a lot more effort and fiction's really, really hard to sell because mm -hmm. there's no built in audience unless you're, you know, Stephen King or Daniel Steele. Um, but it also like is important for the world and artistically to like put it out there and the stories are really good. So, uh, that's been, you know, good for us. Uh, we also do some other stuff that like licensing. So we work with the comic strip character, Andy Cap, and we work with a big company called Conagra Foods who make Slim Jims. They also make Andy Cap hot fries. I didn't know about um, this. Where, so, where does one purchase Andy Cap hot fries? So they're a competitor to Flaming Hot Cheetos. Oh. So if you want Flaming Hot Cheetos, but at a slightly discounted cost, you uh -huh. get Andy Cap hot fries. You can get them anywhere. Um, uh, Walmart's a big distributor, sort of the middle of the country is kind of, uh, um, uh, mostly where, where they're distributed. Um, so. Wow. And now they haven't branded into other foods like Andy Cap. Not that one. I mean, it, it well, well, we've done like onion rings mm -hmm. and, you know, barbecue and different flavors, uh, just working with Conagra, but they're, they're the salty snack experts. You know, we, we do marginal, you know, Andy would do that. Andy wouldn't do that. Um, we actually got approached by Burton snowboards to make an Andy Cap snowboard at uh -huh. one point. Um, and we really wanted to do it. That sounds so cool. We really wanted to do it, but they, this was, this was back in like 2010, 2009, but they wanted him smoking. <laughs> and I think, uh, I think the, the Andy Caps folks sort of dragged their heels. And what is Andy Cap's personality? So, um, you know, I mean, he's, he's, he's British and sort of likes, uh, you know, likes the pints, uh, mm. you know, doesn't particularly like, being home with his wife, sort of, you know, okay. kind of the every man of, of, of the UK, so to speak. So he would smoke probably, probably, but you know, <laughs> we, we don't really want to promote that, uh, yeah. you know, whether it's 2010 or, or now. But. So these are British flaming well, the, hot Cheeto type things. Well, well the, the character is, but the, the handicap hot fries are, are very yes. American. I, I actually, I'm not even sure if they're sold in Europe, but, uh, they're, they're yeah, they're focused huh. here. Wow. Yeah. So if I play my cards right, I could be on some kind of food product. Absolutely. Yes. The Allison Rosen. Um... I can't believe it's not butter spray. <laughs> <laughs> Do you actually use that? Yes. Okay. I mean, not like, not as much as I used to, but I sprayed some on, uh, Daniel made some, <laughs> some fried rice last night, which he called Q fried, fr Q fried rice for quants. Okay. And I 
sprayed so I kept with enough <laughs> butter on it and it was good. So are you are you anti butter? <sighs> if so why? for a long time I okay. I was. Um because I like it too much. Okay. You know, it's one it's that kind of thing. Um but I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> Has its own buttery. It's so more buttery. Like it. I like the flavor. Oh, yeah, okay. it's more right. buttery. It's not like if anyone. This is now dating me. If anyone recalls Molly McButter, which was this sprinkle like uh, powder that you'd sprinkle on your food, and it had this like the most artificial like <laughs> disgu- like gross flavor. Um, but it was butter adjacent. But I can't believe it's not butter. Has its own like salty, creamy sort of flavor that right. it. You know, it's. It has a stronger flavor than actual butter, I would say. Um, Okay. Now, do you have siblings? I have one older sister. She's two and a half years older than me. Did has she gone into the family business? Did she ever consider it? Um, she she she's she has not gotten into it full time, but she's you know we grew up in the business. She's always been a part of it. Um, She was an English major at NYU. She went to law school, so she sort of has like a, like a writing background, but, uh, the company's headquartered in LA. She's got a family on the East coast. So it was th- that part of it was, uh, you know, challenging, but she's, you know, definitely a thought partner and definitely, you know, a smart person about all this stuff. Mm. Who's your best selling book, which is your best selling book? Um, we have two. Uh, so the recently, the most interesting one to me is a, book by a guy named Tom Margino who writes about social security. So <laughs> riveted, R- I'm riveted. Okay. That's what you think. <laughs> yeah. And then you read the book and you're like, this guy takes something that's super important mm. that nobody cares about. And he actually makes it interesting. And then you can actually, and he's super knowledgeable and not condescending and compelling. Um, and and I I I this thing flies off the shelves, and I'm wrong all the time. And you know, people wanted to publish this book, and I'm like, "What are you guys talking about? Like social security? Nobody's going to care." And then the book comes out, and it's it's a blockbuster. It's our number one seller. What's We're, it called? Social Security and You. <laughs> uh, and we do a new one every year because the laws change, um, and so he can update it. Uh, we all and then the other big one is. Um, on the political side, a guy named Ben Shapiro. Of course. Okay. <laughs> so, so we, we are not, I, I should say this cause I know he's sort of a, a, a firebrand as they say, we represent people on both sides of the aisle. We signed Ben when he was 17 years old. Oh my God. Um, his mom had to sign. And what contract. is he now? 21. <laughs> um, and, uh, so his mom signed the contract. Yeah, I didn't re- he, wow. He, he, he was like, uh, you know, genius in terms of going to UCLA young, mm. going to Harvard law school, like super young. Um, and, uh, and he's been writing a column since he was 18 years old or 17 years old. And, um, so he, his book, um, facts don't care about your feelings, uh, is our sort of historical number one. Right. Um, and that was one of the 2020 books. What's he, do you work with him directly? Like what's he like? Uh, he is very smart. Um, he is a mile a minute. Um, He's always thinking, always on. Uh, he is prolific in terms of what he writes mm-hmm. um, and uh, um, always available. Um, he's got a tough job in terms of like people, like, you know, half the people love him, half the people don't like him. Um, 
but he's also, you know, a dad and married to a doctor and a family man and cares about his family a lot. And nobody sees that side of people. Um, it's funny. I work with, we work with editorial cartoonists and there are two that both have two Pulitzer Prizers. Mm -hmm. One leans right, one leans left. The guy who leans right is a guy named Michael Ramirez. The guy who leans left is a guy named Mike Lukovich. I am close personal friends with both of them, with their families. They are the nicest people in the world. And if you asked people about them, you'd say, you know, you'd get, oh, I love this guy or, you know, I can't stand that guy. Mm -hmm. And that's where somebody like me who's able to, you know, represent and work with these people, you realize they're just people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, usually the talented ones, the ones that are successful, um, keep their head down, don't say anything. They work really hard like yourself and you don't hear from them. And uh, all they do is sort of work, work, work. And then eventually, you know, they look up and after a couple of years, they've built an audience. Right. Um, so when you say he's always on, how do you mean? Um, I, you know how you like you, you, you call somebody or like a family member and they're just like sort of chilling. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I've not had a experience um, with, <laughs> with, with Ben. ben. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. And then to go back to something you said at the beginning, back to Nicomonian. Oh, it? Nick and McKeon. I'm pretty sure I used to say something else. And then I had a professor say Nick and McKeon. And then I, I rolled with that. What did you say before? I think night, night. Uh, I don't even know. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, you said that um, a republic is the best form of government. Right. <clears throat> I know the answer, of course. Yeah. But if someone else doesn't, <clears throat> how would you define a republic like versus democracy? So I'm not going to pretend to be like a political theory expert, mm -hmm. despite being a government major <laughs> and liking political theory. Um, my understanding is it's really about checks and balances. I so see. no one person or group can have too much power to completely, uh, you know, sort of take over. Um, and I know that it's, I mean, th that's, you see what's going on in, so my, my mom's dad is from Ecuador. And if you see what's going on in that country right now, like it's really sad, um, in terms of you know, gangs really, you know, taking over and people are scared. Um, and, and we have a lot of problems in this country, but the fact that we have a stable democracy where there are checks and balances, like that's what is aspirational about mm -hmm. the U S at least how we were founded and how we've been so far. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it does seem, some of it seems to be hanging in the balance. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. In, in what regard? Well, I just keep, I mean, to get now, now we are getting political. Um, I keep hearing people say, what you don't understand is if Trump gets another, you know, if Trump goes into office, like that could spell the end of our democracy. And I haven't taken the time to really explore what they mean by that. But yeah. I think my understanding would be that like he could push through legislation that or do things with voting or da 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 where we could be in a bad way. So I don't I'll I'll give a short answer and then we'll get back to the comedy. Um <laughs> I, I don't disagree with that. You don't I, okay. I, I think uh I in in the sense of like the impact that any 
um, executive in that office can have. And I think Roe v. Roe v. Wade is sort of the perfect example of that, yeah. like having a huge impact. Um, so if he were, if he were to get elected, that's, you know, more change like that could come. Absolutely. Uh, so I don't want to, I don't want to downplay that. Um, I guess my belief in the American system would be in four years, you could vote him out. Yes. You know? The sense I get though, and tell me if you, if I'm wrong, it's, you're probably much more in touch with, especially like with all the columnists and stuff, you're probably much more in touch with uh, this than I am. But like, my sense is that people are saying, no, we might never have an honest election again after if he goes back in. Yeah. I mean, so I will say, you know, I've, I have three kids and I run three businesses and I am, I'm very focused on whatever's in front of me. So mm-hmm. I, you know, stuff that's outside in terms of following politics or following right. stuff, it's very difficult for me to do. So I actually don't, I'm not like up to date. A lot of times I'll ask, you know, our editorial force, I'll be like, Hey, who's up in the primaries or who's going to win the nomination? <laughs> right. By the way, they say Trump by a landslide. Like there's nobody close. I know. Right. Do they think he's um, going to win the presidency though? Uh, t- to be determined. Um, okay. yeah, I, I don't, I don't know about that. Um, but the, uh, you know, on the, on the changing the, you know, I, I have no idea. Yeah, I, I mean, don't a lot of know. that stuff, it, I'll tell you the, the, the scariest thing to me, <laughs> we're going to have a tough time coming back from this Allison. I, I'm going to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, the scariest thing for me, do you remember Charlottesville when that guy drove his car into that group of people? Yes. Th- that, I mean, obviously like January 6th was January 6th, but like that just lack of acknowledgement for like human beings mm. was kind of saddening to me. Um, yeah. In addition to everything else that, you know, we don't, we don't have to sort of go, go on and on about what happened. Um, my hope, I, I also believe in the human spirit. I believe in human beings. I believe that people are inherently good right. that we can come back from this. So I, no, no I don't what. remember the circumstance. When you say Charlottesville, I think of <clears throat> a bunch of like Nazis having that a march. Yeah, it was that the same. It's the same thing. I'm pretty sure it's the same thing. And someone uh, drove into whom? Well, I think there were people that were anti that. Oh, and they drove. Oh, yeah. they drove their car into yeah. the yeah. into the people who were yeah. marching. No, 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 no. The other way. Um, so there was. I think I could be wrong, but I think that there were people that were sort of protesting the protest oh and then somebody drove i want to say a black camaro i have it like it like brought tears to my eyes when i saw it anyway mm. just drove into a group group of people so and h- how many casualties were there i don't i don't know i sort of remember like yeah. a college girl yeah. i don't know yeah yeah that's awful yeah it's awful <laughs> and it does seem to i worry that things are getting more and more polarized right now it does feel like they are. I'm, I'm an optimistic person, so I feel like <laughs> I feel like things are better than they. I feel like things were really bad in 2020. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know that whole that whole time. Obviously, you know f- for a lot of reasons, and it seems like things are better now. You know, we're we're planning on in terms of books, like we're going to publish a lot of political books this year because it's a election year. Um, I don't get the sense that people are super into politics right now. Mm-hmm. From a business standpoint, I hope they are because that's what we're betting on. But I feel like there's a lot of fatigue and yeah. people like comedy and want to do other things uh, right now. Um, I think COVID is really hard on us mm-hmm. um, and really 
you know, sort of the, the people are looking around for leaders and, and, you know, trying to figure out who to trust. And, uh, I think that's why people who have podcasts have such loyal followings. Well, I'll tell you something weird. Um, I'm trying to think how I, I think I've talked about it maybe like once on this show. So, you know, I don't, I'm not hugely political generally. Um, and I've certainly never really talked about, <clears throat> it, I've never really talked about being Jewish other than discovering that I am like, and it hasn't really meant anything to me. However, uh, October 7th was like a huge, huge thing for me. Um, and I really felt quote unquote Jewish in a way. I don't know why I put it in quotes, but it felt right. Um, in a way that I never did before. Like it never meant anything to me before, but all of a sudden it kind of does, even though I like religiously spiritually doesn't doesn't mean anything in that sense um but i you know have pretty strong feelings about what's happening in, in the middle east and the rising anti-semitism and are you on threads do you know what threads is i, I am on it and i, I have you I, seen I, what i'm doing over there <laughs> no no because i click yes do threads and then i haven't gone on it since. okay i also deleted instagram so oh yeah we yeah, had we need to talk about that that you <laughs> repeatedly delete your social media yeah, which i, I know, find inspiring okay <laughs> so threads is smaller than yeah. the other ones uh, and at the beginning, everyone was like, oh, this place is so, um, you know, it's so nice to be away from all the like Nazis on Twitter X. Uh, however, the the algorithm on threads, because it is Facebook, is so good that like if you indicate I don't like this, I this makes me have a reaction, then it's just like I will only show you this. Oh, so my goodness. So it's just like nonstop anti-Semitism on my feed. And so anyway, this is all a roundabout way of saying um I am very politically outspoken about what's going on in the Middle East on threads, not anywhere else. I don't talk about it on my show. I mean, I think occasionally it's come up, yeah, but like yeah. I don't spend time anywhere else. It's just on threads because in my mind, it's like this is this little area that no one's looking at. Right. But my social media numbers everywhere else, they don't they move a tiny bit, right. but like Every time I open up threads, I have more and more followers. Yeah. Now, again, it's still less than my followers on Instagram, but that's, you know, here I am like going out on a limb and having a strong point of view and people like it. Right. I, I think that's a, that's a misconception that content creators have. That uh, you can't be political. Well, I don't think, it, no, I, I think it's authenticity, mm -hmm. I think trumps everything. I, I think yeah. the consumer is way smarter than people think and they can see through everything. Right. And everybody has opinions on stuff. And it's like the, the, I, I, somebody told me this, the, the, the most attractive thing about a dude, I guess. Yeah. It's about a dude about a dude is like confidence, mm -hmm. right. Or like passion. Um, even if it's about, you know, dungeons, dungeons <laughs> or something that's like seemingly, you know, sort of geeky or whatever. Um, so like if you're into something, you know, people are like, well, she, she cares, mm -hmm. you know, she cares about this thing. Um, uh, so people are gravitating towards that. Um, so I, th I think that's a good thing. I think yeah. the, the idea of, I don't know why, but like 
sort of like the Ryan Seacrest comes to mind of like all things to all, all people mm-hmm. is just is just not reality. Right. You know, it's okay to have a bad day. It's okay to um I I mean I I I joke with uh sort of people that I've known, you know, my entire life like I can be a world-class shit talker, you know, and, and it's like, I am drawn to people that like, if you want to corner, you know, in a party and like start talking shit about people that like oh, yeah. I grew up with, like, let's go. Yeah. You know? Um, oh yeah. People who have a, like, I will not gossip policy. Right? No. I mean, it's noble, <laughs> but it's like, ugh, right. what are we going to talk about then? So I was thinking about this. Um, I'm, I'm reading this book about in and out burger. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's called the ins and outs of in and out. And it's written title. by the family. Uh, oh wow. So it's like, you know, one-sided mm-hmm. and in and out you know, burger, like their, uh, their Christian faith is like a huge part of mm-hmm. their, their, you know, culture. And so they read like different Bible verses, you know, before the different chapters. Um, I was raised Catholic. I'm currently a free agent. Um, and so, uh, one of the Bible verses was like, God loved everybody. So he gave his only son. Mm-hmm. And I'm a dad and I have three sons. And I started thinking about that line and I'm like, I would die for any of my kids. I would not give any one of them for yeah. the population of the world or whatever. I don't really have like a takeaway from that mm-hmm. other than I would never do that. Right. Other you know than like, I mean? right. This is a a, lo- a sentence or a notion that people just grow up hearing. Yes. And then all of a sudden you get to a point and you're like, what? That has never quite i've never that's never made sense to me like on its face i don't understand that what did sacrificing his only son how did that help people yeah like like i truly don't get it right the idea being that somehow it absolved people because he like soaked up their sin, like bread and gravy or something. Yes. No, I, okay. I, 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 I like, I, it's been a while. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think it's original sin. I think it's Adam and Eve. You, you, you know, take a bite of the apple. When yeah. You're not supposed to. But it's not like since then, everything's been hunky dory with everyone. People are still, you know, born with original sin. If you believe in that, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Some of he needs to give another one. Like that one didn't take. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. I heard this. I heard this. Uh, so did you ever see the movie, the devil's advocate with Al Pacino? So, um, it, anyway, forget about the movie, but there, there are certain things you need to do like in terms of like God and, and I'm talking, it can, it can be any religion, whether it's Christianity or something else, you know, it's like, okay, do these things. And then you, you go to this place, which is better. Um, and then on the other side, it's like, we're going to accept you no matter what. Well, aren't we trying to accept people no matter what these days? Like, isn't that sort of the thing? And I'm not like pro, you know, the other side, whatever. You can use your imagination for what that is. But I just think that, you know, sort of where we're at, whether it's political or anything, it's this is like such a small moment of time. Yes. And we are so lucky to be born period. I mean, you and I have both been through sort of fertility issues mm-hmm. and things like that. And the likelihood of any of us being born is insanely low. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we make it and that our moms made it to have a live birth is insane. And that we're alive at the same time is incredible. Like we share this common experience that 
is just so astronomically out of the realm of possibility, we should celebrate each other mm-hmm. and try to get along because we are way more similar than we think. Not to be kumbaya, but, no, but I, it's I, true. I truly believe that. Um, anyway, that's why when people say this is, you know, sort of the sky is falling or why would you want to have kids at this time? It's, it's, it's sort of like, I just believe in people. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, I think we're sort of, uh, we're doing a good job, uh, as a whole. Oh, see, <laughs> I believe in people. I'm trying to think if I, well, you know what? I think that I also am an optimist in that I have this faith that at the 11th hour, we will figure out the climate situation and we will figure out the environment. I hope. I mean, because otherwise what happens? Like the planet explodes or something. It seems like a pretty bad way. Pretty. It seems like there's all sorts of bad things that we're headed towards. And I just feel like when when it is necessary, someone will get their shit together. So I hope that's right. There's an old saying in media, which is the answer to all of your questions is money. So as soon as the you talk about economics as soon as the incentives align mm-hmm. for us to stop doing all the things that we do you know using plastic and right. uh fossil fuels and all that stuff um as soon as somebody can make a buck off it then then we'll get there and, and i think we're we're sort of going that direction um right. so uh no i totally agree with you and i have the climate thing scares me and mm-hmm. i i don't know what to do about it other than you know sort of the personal uh, you know, you do, you do your best, but, um, yeah, that is, that is a real issue. Daniel is very freaked out by all of that. Um, and he also tends to just be, he's not the sky is falling, but. Do you guys play those roles? Like, are you more optimistic and he's not? Yes. Okay. He, I'm the same he, way with my wife. You're, yeah. I, I'm more optimistic. Right. Yeah. And he's also like reads all he's more up on all the worst things happening in fact when i was in the hospital in labor with owen my mom he and my mom were there and they were talking about like some calamitous environmental something or other that had just happened and i i was like can you guys not (laughs) like this is absolutely the worst time for this conversation um so when daniel is like did you hear blah 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 and this is bad because da 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 it freaks me out and I don't have any, there's nothing I can do about it. So I don't like to hear all of it from him often because it just feels like someone saying to me, Hey, be worried. Here's a list of things to be worried about in case you weren't already worried. Right. Um, yeah, I forget did, where I was going did, with that. Did, did you watch white Lotus? Oh yeah. I love did you white watch Lotus. the second mm-hmm. season. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know how there was that, that one couple uh who said you know oh i don't watch the news or whatever yes okay i'm gonna hesitate hesitate to say what i'm about to say because i don't want to be mistaken for that couple Mm -hmm. but i am again i have three kids i run multiple businesses i am very protective over my headspace that's so smart and so i try very hard not to consume things that an algorithm tells me to choose Mm -hmm. Or that's, you know, not real news. I've also worked in media long enough to know what the little words are that are real and what mm. are not real. So right. like, you know, if if Russia invades Ukraine, that's real. If gangs are taking over Ecuadorian uh, news um, organizations, like that's real. If it says such and such might, maybe, you know, different qualifiers and depending on the source – 
Um, and even that is sort of everybody's, you know, kind of going for eyeballs and clickbaits and no right. what, um, then it's sort of like, all right, you know, that's, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I don't need to read the whole thing. There. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, and I get mad at my wife for this. I'm like, why are you reading that? Yeah. You know? Um, but it, they do a really good job of like addicting us to this. And and right. it's not just the algorithm. I, th- I think media today and the way that do you, do you, do your kids watch um, Spidey and the Amazing Friends? Spidey and the Amazing Super Friends? No. What do they What do they watch? What's their thing? Oh gosh. Well, they play Minecraft a okay. lot. They're like all they're like obsessed with playing Minecraft. Um, but when they watch stuff, what is Elliot into? It's like they like Sarah and Duck is probably the most defendable one because it's like calm. Yeah. Um, poke it's a lot it's a whole bunch of different stuff on youtube okay so pokeyo something called pock pock um i forget what oh they i mean they've had they've they're in and out on blippy okay um but all the stuff today and even like on youtube the video i found the videos roll into the next video oh yeah and it's just constant mm-hmm. and my i i have uh almost a six-year-old and almost a three-year-old and um <laughs> i like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. I basically like expose them to stuff that I was into as a kid. So you know, expose them to the Ninja Turtles, Transformers. Uh-huh. Um, we tried Star Wars. The oldest one was like, I'm out. <laughs> so so we don't do Star Wars. So on Transformers, there is a cartoon from 1984. So if I put on Spidey and the Amazing Friends on Disney Plus, they become comatose. Mm-hmm. They are just locked in. Episode after episode, if you try to turn it off, they freak out. If I put on this 40-year-old Transformers <laughs> that's kind of grainy, uh, you can watch an episode and then you can turn it off. Right. And there's sort of a beginning, a middle, and mm-hmm. an end. And it's not the same addictive nature. Right. Um, and so I see that in in all of kind of media and society. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what got us there, but anyway. And you would rather they watch something where it's not like – Take, and they're not addicted to it, right? Like totally immersive, you know, uh, where they can't. My my oldest one loved dinosaurs, and there was a show on Amazon Prime called Dino Dana. Mm-hmm. It was twelve minute episodes, Canadian production company. It was really good. The actress who played Dino Dana was like really good. It was this kind of blended Indian family. It was very like progressive, but like a really good show. And they taught you about dinosaurs. If he watched that. I mean, it was game over. Mm-hmm. Like if you, if you turned it off, it was just, he would have a meltdown. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like other things, like, again, I'll, I'll show Ninja Turtles from 30 years ago. Um, and it's just like a little bit more, or, um, uh, we started watching a pup named Scooby-Doo. I don't know if you remember oh, yeah. that, that cartoon series, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a little different than like the newer stuff. Right. Um, and it's a little slower pace. Um, it's a little goofier, uh, um, so they have a better time sort of walking away from that. It also doesn't look as good in a lot of ways. I think maybe what got you onto that is you were saying that it's not new. Right. This algorithm is not new. Right. Right. Um, oh, in terms of like showing people what they want to see. Well, I think I think for kids, like it can be immersive and they they sit there and they become comatose. And then for us, you know, you're they're tracking your eyeballs. So your mm-hmm. eyeballs are going to go towards the anti-Semitic stuff. My wife's eyeballs are going to go towards the mother drowned her five-year-old on purpose Mm, or, you know, kid died of RSV or whatever. I think sometimes the reason I have a negative reaction 
to Daniel listing all the things to worry about is because I feel like, and it's that authenticity thing that we were talking about, I feel like he's not saying what he really means to say. Like, I think this is a feeling he's having about a lot of things, and it is becoming attached to news stories and there's an energy behind it. But really, if he was to like, it's not really about the environment. It's about he feels that the people who I, now I'm guessing. Yeah. But he feels the people who are supposed to be taking care of us aren't doing it. And yeah. it's, a you know, it's like it's it's a feeling that he's not contending with. And it's coming out in a sideways way. That's my f- suspicion. I'm, are, are, is he in individual therapy? I, this is no, personal. no. So, so he has been on and off. Like, yeah. and I think he would say right now that he should be. Yeah. So that that would be something that you could sort of examine and you know sort right. of figure out. Like, why do I care so much about this thing? Um, and but I think that that is unsettling. I also think that we're. I don't think we are emotionally and psychologically capable to process all this stuff. Yes. I, I know we're not, you know, you know, I think, well, I think that's why social media is like too much for our brains. Absolutely. I, I think we were, I, I want to say like we're conditioned to be around like 150 people. Like that is the size of the tribe that we had for hundreds of thousands of years or whatever. And uh, tens of thousands of years. And then, you know, some people we were stronger than and better than and older than and younger than, and then some people we weren't, but that was it. We didn't have, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. We we couldn't see sort of the entire world. Mm-hmm. So every, and, and this goes back to kind of the mental health struggle for young girls right now. They look at their phones and, you know, body image issues and, and all that stuff because they're comparing themselves to everybody else. And by the way, it's not their fault. And they're being shown sort of their, uh, you know, their kind of, uh, um, deepest darkest fears and that's what the algorithm is showing right right um i'm looking at the time i know that you have a cool class to take your son (laughs) to um so let's just i real fast do you have a podcast pals product pick podcast pals product picks i do i've i have uh i have two and i'm not sure if uh well let's do both yeah, yeah let's do them um do you know what sonos is I've heard that name, but I don't. All right. It's a speaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so specifically the Sonos Rome. And the reason I like it is because it can uh, – I, I I will put the kids in the stroller and it'll get them out of the house. Mm-hmm. So it – I don't know. At the end of the year, you know, we got our Apple Music, you know, your top 10 plays or whatever. My top, you know, music, I'm sure it's the same for you. It's like – the theme song to this movie, Pacific Rim, which my kids are obsessed with, and the Beastie Boys, which my kids are also obsessed <laughs> with, and Olivia Rodrigo, which they're also oh my obsessed God, with. They have good taste. They do. But um, we, we, you know, if I can use this thing, it was like 139 bucks and it's indestructible um, and it gets them out of the house. So, like, I'll, you know, get the stroller loaded. I'll start playing the Pacific Rim song and then they'll like run towards me as opposed to, you know, chasing around the house trying to get, trying to get them out. Um, the other thing is I, over the summer I was like breaking out mm-hmm. and I was like, what is going on? I'm, I'm a 41 year, 41 year old dude. Like I shouldn't have you know, <laughs> face issues, but here we are. Um, and I remember in college I had a buddy whose dad was a doctor and he had some skin issues 
and I had skin issues. And then he said, try this soap. Uh, it's called, um, I want to say it's called retin a for some reason that rings true. So I tried to find it and I found something sort of comparable off of Amazon. I ordered it and it like burned my face. And mm. I was like, what am I doing? So I went to my dermatologist and I've actually had sort of a few, uh, like relatively serious skin cancer stuff removed. Oh. So I, I go pretty regularly. Is that from the, the rowing? It, I, I think it's actually playing tennis growing up. Okay. Um, growing up here. And then, um, so, uh, I was talking to her and I, I was like, Hey, you know, do you have stuff that'll clear up? She said, yes. Like this is an easy <laughs> thing. So she's like, use this face wash, use this oil, use this moisturizer at night, use this one during the day. You're done. Um, by the way, $350. This is medical grade skincare is so expensive. For everything. But here's the thing. I go, I start using it. It's amazing. Like I love, I love the way it feels. It's my ritual at night. Oh, you have uh, self-care rituals. What is it? <laughs> I, well, no, I mean, it's, it's this wash that she gets. So it's called Glow MD. Glow MD. I don't know if it's her sort of product, um, but uh, it's expensive and it works. Now, my wife, who's also named Allison, used the moisturizer and she like had like this horrible reaction to it and had to like scrub it off. So I don't know if I'm just like the perfect patient for it, but those are the two things that have been sort of life altering for me in the last year. I, it's hard to go to the dark place with this, but what was the thing you got on Amazon that burned your face? Uh, Was it like a special acne wash? I I think so. It was like a bar, uh, a soap bar. For, for acne though? I think so. Cause you said Retin-A, Retin-A is a prescription ointment. So probably not that. Oh, maybe uh, I want to say like CoQ10, but I could be just making stuff up at this point. Hmm. Uh, it was something. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. These are, do you have a just me or everyone? Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? Oh, do you really hold your breath when people are underwater in movies? I don't know. Oh, okay. People do that one. Yeah. Somebody else does that? Yeah. Um, sure. So I didn't think this was a big deal. And then I ran it by a coworker and they were like, no, you're a, you're a psychopath. Um, <laughs> so I go sock, shoe, tie, sock, shoe, tie. So yeah, that's that you're not the only one, but it is upsetting to the rest of us. And I always start with my left for okay. no reason. Now, the sock shoe tie thing for me, I don't want my socks to touch the floor. I don't want them to get dirty. So mm-hmm. as soon as I put the sock on, I want to put the shoe on. Right. Now I realize at a certain point I have a sock and a shoe and then a bare foot. Mm-hmm. But then I, yeah, then I put a sock on. So and a shoe. So you never walk around in socks in your house. It's always barefoot. So we are a we are a shoeless house. Okay. And uh, yeah, correct. I, I I'm always barefoot. You're never in socks. No, because I don't want to get the sock dirty. But it sounds like your floor is not even dirty because you're a shoeless house. Uh, yeah, I got kids and a dog and okay. I don't know. I, sometimes I wish we had gone shoeless because- You still can. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> We're not committed. But when we moved in, there's carpet in the bedrooms and it is so like discolored and, and mad. And Car- just, carpet's no. cheap. Get a new one. I know. Yeah, and it was like it. the cheapest, really. Yeah, my dog shit all over the guest room carpet. We got a new one. It was it's life changing, and it it's not cost prohibitive. Maybe we should. Yeah. Now, did they move all the furniture out? Though? Yes, yes, really. They do okay, it. they did it in like two hours. Really incredible. Yeah, bed, like dresser, all the stuff. Yeah, because it seems like that'd be impossible to get everything out, but yeah. they can do it. All right, maybe we'll do it. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Most people are sock, sock, shoe, shoe. Really? Yeah. Oh, Isn't right. your wife a sock, sock, shoe, shoe? You know, again, three kids. She's like a van slip on after walking out the door with the baby. And, right. You know, maybe another, maybe an Ugg boot and let's go. Yeah. <laughs> um, just today when I was putting on my mascara, I was like, I always do the right eye first. There Could you go. I possibly do the left eye? And I decided no. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't. It feels too weird. Um, Jack Newcomb, it was so nice having you on the show. Thank you. Thank for you me. so much. I know that people are going to be like, this was so interesting. Uh, people are going to go out <laughs> and buy so. that. They're not going to buy my book. They're going to buy Social Security and you. Uh, <laughs> I hope they'll also buy Tropical Attire and Courage and other phrases that scare me. Um, it even it has an updated cover. So really, you could buy the old one and the new one. And get the audio book if you're listening to yeah. the podcast because it's like the podcast and Allison comments on the on yeah. message. So. Um, anything else you want to say to them? I, appre- I, as a fan of yours, I appreciate that they are, you know, your loyal following has followed you and continue to support you and, and encourage them to, to, to do so. Thank you. Um, I mean, I would say like give out your socials, but you're not on social no, right now. Care. You're off. This is purely for you. And, you know, just to talk about your writing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, and by the way, if you do, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again. If you buy the fifth anniversary edition of the book, please leave a review on Amazon because all the reviews are on the old one, but now they're like coming in on the new one, but we need to get that number up because I look right now and I'm like, we can do better, Let's guys. Let's do better. Yeah. So please, and we're going to do a book signing. I know yes. we got to figure that yes. out. You and you had a kid, so <laughs> which is really no excuse for me not choosing where to do it. We're going to do a book signing. Let's so if you're it. in town, come to that. Uh, and uh, follow me everywhere, blah, blah, blah. I'm on Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen. All, you can get uh, to everything by going to allisonslinks.com. Thank you again, Jack. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. You matter. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? We had a good time, but now we gotta go.